Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the 147 podcast with me, sports MC Phil Seymour, and him, the former Triple Crown winner and snooker world champion, the magician, Sean Murphy. This is episode five of the 147 podcast, and Sean, they said it wouldn't last. <laughs> How are you doing, Phil? I'm very good, actually. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Yeah, they said it wouldn't last. Um, I think I think it's really good. I'm enjoying doing it, and... Um, Episode five, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Do you know what we, we we're doing all right? I would suggest we're getting lovely feedback from people um, from from all over the place. We seem to have a lot of people listening in Germany, which which baffles me slightly. But Germany is thanks to Brandon a big big snooker place now, and um, yeah, some lovely comments. So once again, I know we say it each time, but thank you very much for everyone that said nice things and uh, everyone that's listening because the the rankings, the tables, the charts, whatever they call them, they all seem to be going quite well, but. At the end of the day, Sean, we do this for a bit of a laugh, don't we? Yeah, well, I think some of the feedback I've seen, people have said, oh, it's just really like, you know, two mates having a chat in the pub. And, of course, that's that's the whole point of it, isn't it? You know, we've got, um, you know, lots of other snooker podcasts and there's lots of sporting heavy podcasts out there. But, of course, this one is, you know, a little bit different. We're, you know, we are two mates having a, having a chat. There's no drink involved yet. <laughs> Maybe that might be in another episode. I think during the UK Championships in York, actually, in your fair city, we should do a live podcast um, from, you know, your local or something. A pubcast. A pubcast. <laughs> How dangerous would that be? Yeah, what, that? what could possibly go wrong, Sean? Let's move on, shall we? Right. The last two weeks, what have you been up to? Well, other than the European Masters, what have you been up to? Yeah, do you know, really, the, the snooker's taken snooker's taken the majority of my time, which you know is is uh, probably how it should be as a snooker player. 
Uh, last couple of weeks, I've turned 40, had the big 4-0, um, and, uh, yeah, busy weekend, busy, busy week coming. Uh, you know, there's lots of birthdays um, in my family this coming week. The children turn six and four uh, next week, so it's very, very busy. And, um, yeah, between birthdays and, and, and snooker, uh, there hasn't been much time for anything else. I did an exhibition in Preston, uh, which was great. It was in the Elite Snooker Club, which is a really good club, uh, ran by two former professionals in Showcat Alley and Chris Norbury, and um, two really sort of good guys of snooker, stalwarts of snooker, if you will. And uh, their club's quite traditional. You know, it's one of the sort of traditional clubs, and it's so nice because it's busy, it's doing well, uh, and the exhibition was really well attended. So shout out to them. It was a great night. And um, yeah, that's 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 kind of been me for the last few weeks. What about yourself? What have well, you been up to? We we recorded the last one early because of your birthday and because I was going on holiday. So I've actually had a week away in the sun, which was uh, which was lovely and much needed. First holiday since COVID, which is uh, yeah. So that was that was nice to get all the family uh, get all the family away on a little break. Been busy working. Assuming it was, I'm assuming it was bad weather. Was it? It was beautiful. Absolutely. beautiful beautiful over there it was i've been working hard i've been stadium announcing at wakefield trinity um which has been great because we've secured another season in the super league which is brilliant and i've agreed to another year on the microphone next year which will be my 15th year at wakefield and my last because i am i am stopping doing wakefield trinity after next year so it's yeah 15 years it's a big um big one to walk away from i love it tell us what are you allowed to tell us why no, I just, I just think 15 years is long enough to be stood in the rain and snow at the side of a rugby pitch with a microphone in your hand. Um, it's, yeah, it's, you know, I love it there. Absolutely love it. Love the club. Love the fans. The fans are a, a, a different class. Um, but yeah, 15 years, it's a very, very tying thing to do. Um, it is something that I love. I will still be going back and watching the games, but I'll do it with a big coat on underneath the roof where I'm not getting rained and snowed on. So... <laughs> It's a little bit, uh, little bit different. I also did the Castle Howard Proms, which is one of my favourite events of the year. It's a Castle Howard, big stately home near York. And every year they do the, the Proms weekend, the Castle Howard Live, and we had uh, at the last night of the Proms, full symphony orchestra, conductor, Spitfire fly past, lasers, everyone waving the Union flags. That was fantastic. And then Abba Symphonic, which was the stars of Mamma Mia with, a, again, a symphony orchestra behind. Yeah, two great nights, really, up there at Castle Howard. And, uh, yeah, something that I really thoroughly enjoy. So, fantastic. It's been a busy few weeks, really. I absolutely love ABBA, you know. I don't know if you know this about me. I, I'm i a bit ABBA crazy, so I would have loved that. It, you know, really not my cup of tea at all, but thoroughly enjoyed it. Like I said, they had the, some of the, the stars of Mamma Mia, the musical in the West End, and they're singing with a full orchestra behind. It was, oh, it was incredible. Absolutely brilliant night. It really was far, far better than I was expecting. So there you go. So that's now, I know Abba, I know Abba have like come back with this thing in London, you know, this um, like, um, it's not 3D, is it? It's like computer imagery. It's all a bit, I haven't been to it, but I desperately want to go to it. But um, that, am I right? Are Abba and uh, the tennis player, Bjorn Borg, were they from the same country? <laughs> I, I, I think so. They're all Swedish, aren't they? They're all from that part of the world. Hmm. That's sort of, yeah. you know, that. That, that that stretch because they both va- didn't they both vanish without trace like they were at the absolute top of their games in their respective fit you know beyond borg was like unbeatable at 10 he just vanished well i think he, i think he just Abba, retired didn't he 
ABBA just completely vanished from the scene. Like, what happened? I don't know. But the thing is, trouble is, Sean, that was from the 70s. So that's more your era um, and before mine. So you, you're more likely to know about that. I was too busy working on my moustache. That's what it was. That's definitely what it was. Anyway, look, snooker over the last couple of weeks. Kyron Wilson, um, great performance in winning the European Masters. Um, yeah, well done, well done to Kyron. That was that was superb. The final was a bit one for the purists, really, wasn't it? But that's somehow sometimes our finals go. Barry Hawkins played great all week. Um, got to the final and just came up a little bit short, didn't he? He did, and I'm sure he'd be the first to admit that. Um, always very wary of wary of. Um, not criticising because crit- criticism is part of life and part of sport and that's what we do certainly you know as I sort of move into that uh, punditry role for the BBC you know that, that that's that's what I'm paid to give paid to give my opinion so um, but just you know as obviously still as an active player Barry's a you know a friend of mine uh, be, be wary of being too critical but uh, there's absolutely no 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 debating it that um, unfortunately, you know, it was his worst performance of the week. Was in the biggest match where it, where it mattered the most, and um, you know, I think I think that you know, there's been a number of times that's happened, not just to Barry, uh, but to, to to pretty much every player I can think of. You know, that that last match, you spend the whole week desperately trying and dreaming of getting to the final. That chance of having that long match over two sessions to race for the trophy, and it, it you know, it, it cannot it can often bring out the best and, 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 and the worst in, in players, you know, it just gets too big and you're unable to let that flow and, and let it come out. You just get caught up in what it means. Um, and of course, you know, there would have been that added bit, you know, both, both of those players, Barry and Kyron, you know, would have known Brandon Parker very well. That was a venue that by Brandon pretty much made his own over the years, the expansion explosion of snooker in Germany, which Brandon, you know, spearheaded, um, they were both managed by Brandon at different stages of their career. They would have both, I'm sure, been thinking about that. That might have played a role. It just takes your focus off what you're trying to do. Um, and in the end, the final kind of, you know, fizzled out in the end. But Kyron, you know, we've been saying it for a long time. You know, he, he really is now beginning to sort of turn himself into a real contender for every tournament he enters. You know, he, he, it's not a surprise when he, he, he walks away with the silverware. I guess from from my point of view... Um, it made my week slightly, slightly better, slightly easier to take that I lost to the winner. Um, you know, I, I didn't play too badly against Kyron. He, he played a little bit better and he beat me in the last 16. I was actually playing quite nicely up until that point. Um, so I think any week where you lose to the eventual winner kind of makes that pill a bit easier to swallow. Um but good signs for me going forward for the season and, and obviously great signs and a great start to the season uh, for Kyron Wilson. Yeah, it certainly was. And uh, yeah, saying that Barry maybe didn't play his best in the final, he played great all week and the, the season ahead is looking looking good for him. But yeah, that is not to take anything away from Kyron. He was he was superb in that final and uh, and did the job he did. Just out of interest, the psychology of that, this, this interests me. So you, in the last 16, you got beat by Kyron. You've been playing well up to then. He then goes on and wins. Does it? Does that make it easier? Do you look at that and think, oh, well, maybe if I'd have beaten him, I could have won the tournament? Or does, does it make it an easier pill to swallow? It does for me. Um, and, it, and it's something I went through a, 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 you know, a period of time a few seasons ago where it felt like every time I lost, it, it felt like I lost to the eventual winner. It happened you know, uh, four or five times in one season. I, I, you know, Listen, you're disappointed to lose. Of course you are. I'm you know, always disappointed when I, when I get beaten. 
But it, but it you know for me it makes it just that little bit you know slightly easier to accept that you lost to somebody who was obviously in great form that week, playing really really well somewhere near the top of their game, and you weren't a complete muppet. You know you 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 did stand up and try and you tried your best, but you lost to someone who was in great form and fair play. They went on to win the tournament. Yeah, yeah that's that's absolutely fair enough. And uh, yeah, so once again, well done, Kyron. That was a, a good win and. Uh... Like I say, it could be a very, very big season ahead for uh, for Kyron Wilson if he keeps playing like that. Now, a couple of other things. In the Northern Ireland Open qualifying, just a couple of real notable ones, Mink beat Mitchell Mann. Mink will be going to the Northern Ireland Open. People that aren't familiar, Mink is one of the female players on the tour, one of the women's players. Um, she goes by the name Mink because her name is incredibly hard to pronounce and, and Mink is much easier, let's be honest. Um, that feels like a big moment, that. Big moment, um, you know. We saw it. Um, we saw it in. I think it was either the, was it the qualifier for the same tournament? I think with Onyi winning as well. Um, yeah. You know. So, um, you know, all those all those naysayers that were were quite critical of of you know the ladies tour um, being a uh, you know um, feeder feeder tour is not the right way of putting it, but um, you know a qualification uh, route for the main tour. Um, you know, everyone who was negative about that and critical of that decision from WST, um, you know, might start to have a bit of egg on their face at the moment, you know, with, with some of the ladies, um, you know, digging these wins out. Um, you know, Mink beating Mitchell Mann there 4-2, um, you know, is a good win. You know, Mitchell on his day is capable of, you know, doing damage, played at the Crucible, of course, um, you know, proper, proper player. Um, just looking at the breaks, you know, there weren't, it wasn't a match, you know, of, of, of intense fluency. Uh, there was only two breaks over 50 in the whole match and they were from Mitchell. Um, but I think that shows that, you know, Mink's obviously got, you know, a very strong B game, C game, and is able to get in the trenches and fight. And at the end of the day, you know, um, you, you know, snoop sport is all about, you know, perspective, but the scoreboard doesn't tell lies. Uh, and, 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 and you know, the, the scoreboard needs no interpretation. She won the match fair and square. And I'm sure she's absolutely buzzing, um, as will everyone back in Thailand who supports her, uh, be buzzing to go to Belfast for the Northern Irish Open. Yeah, and really chuffed for her, and, uh, and hopefully we'll, we'll see her over that. It's fantastic. And a player we've talked about previously on this podcast, The Wind. Jimmy qualifies for the Northern Ireland Open. He keeps doing it, doesn't he? He keeps rolling the years back. Well, I, th- I just think when you've been as good as he was, you just never lose it. And uh, we, were just, we were saying there, you know, I was doing an exhibition last weekend. Jimmy does more exhibitions still to this day than any other player, who, you know, who's ever lived. And apparently, you know, it's been a long time since I saw him do an exhibition, but apparently on the exhibition scene, you know, he's still churning out very good performances. You know, he's still knocking big breaks in. And again, I was looking at the match. He beat Yuansi Jun 4-3 to qualify. Um, it's two impressive stats for me, Jimmy. I mean, obviously, was always one of the quickest players. His average shot time is still around 20 seconds. You know, that's still that's still fairly swift uh, for a man in his 60th year. And uh, he, he had some really good breaks. He opened the match with a 75. There was a few breaks through the match. And in the deciding frame, Jimmy won the match with a 132 break. I mean, that is, that's clinical, you know. That's, that's cometh the hour, cometh the man. Uh, and when needed, he, he produced. Of course, he 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 made it. Um, he told us all, didn't he, that he's um, got his boy on the bag, so to speak, in golfing terms. His, yep. his son's coming around the tour with him, um, gets him up and about. They go walking together, spending time. Nice that they can spend that time together. Um, but it's encouraging him to do a bit more practice. It's encouraging him to be a bit more disciplined. And of course, you know, you can't say that 
without also saying it's probably a shame that he didn't have that he didn't have that 30 years ago otherwise we'd be talking about probably about a multiple world champion I think we definitely would be um yeah having done a few exhibitions with Jimmy I can tell you now you're absolutely right he he scores century break after century break after century break and it's really funny because you can be chatting to him and, and having a good laugh and he's, he's a lot of fun and Jimmy is an awful lot of fun. As soon as he's on that table, it doesn't matter who he's playing, the face comes on and that's it. You've got serious Jimmy White and, and you know, he's, he's playing a punter from the crowd, but he is more than happy to get down there and absolutely destroy them with a century break, no problem at all. And do you know what? People love it. Even if they're playing against him, they've had a century break against them by the whirlwind Jimmy White. So happy days. Yeah. It's, it's funny because when you're doing these exhibitions, you're, you're never sure what the right mix is of, of, of trying to play good snooker. You know, you're booked by the promoter or the club to come and perform on the night. And of course, there'll be 10 or 12 frames to play trick shots and all the rest of it. And it, it took me a long time whilst when I joined that sort of circuit in 05 to learn what sort of show people want to see. Do they want to see that serious, you know, intense professional level snooker? Or do they want to hear a few funny stories and they want to see a few funny shots and great trick shots and this, that. And, you know, the truth of the matter is they all they want to see all of it. Mm. And you can be funny and you can tell your little jokes and you can entertain, but they still want to see you knocking the century break. And there's always that little, um, little bit of a crestfallen moment if you ever do one of these exhibitions and you don't make a century break yeah. on the night. That that's, that's always a bit, um, it's a bit of a faux pas, you know. It's a bit of a snooker player faux pas, that. Of course, we're always trying. Um, and I had a very funny story a few years ago. Um, my dear friend, Kevin Johnston in Sheffield, I used to play at his club. It used to be called the, the 147 Club. It's now Players Lounge um, in Sheffield. And um, just before the World Championships every year, he would get me to do the, the sort of end-of-season exhibition for the junior club. And you'd be presenting trophies to all the winners and, of course, playing playing their 10 best juniors. And I did this club exhibition every year. And this one particular year, uh, this young this young kid comes out. I think his name was Jake, something like that. And he comes out to play frame three or four. And uh, he's the youngest kid there. And um, that night they were allowing all the kids to break off. So he breaks off. And uh, he pops a long red out, which which I, knocks the, I, I knock the long red in. And I go ahead and make a 147. And the place has gone up, like the roof's come off the place. You know, it's a 147. It's great to see. It doesn't matter whether you're in the club practicing or in an exhibition or at the World Championships. They're very special. The only person in the room who wasn't happy about it was this kid's dad. <laughs> who made it very, very clear that, that, that I was out of order for making a 147 against his boy. So I was, you know, as apologetic as I could be, tried to make it clear that, you know, I was there to do a job and I was there to put a show on. You know, it wasn't personal, obviously. This, that, this, that, and the other. Anyway, roll the, the, roll the calendar a year and I'm there doing the show again. Again, for my friend Kevin, he's asked me, come on, will you do the show the week before the Crucible? No problem. Um, and I look down the list of players and, of course, I'm playing this young Jake again, aren't I? And Because uh, he's, he's, he's won another one of the junior competitions there. Very good little player. And literally as the night is about to start his dad's come up and, and, and confronted me in the bar and he said listen um, obviously we had that set to last year uh, you know just just don't don't do the same thing to my son so I've gone well listen you know I, I can't promise anything but you know I'll try to make sure he has a few shots like you know <laughs> whatever. 
So I broke off this time. And uh, I think I broke the reds from the back. I hit the back cushion first into the pack of reds, splashed the reds everywhere. I left him plumbing the balls. You know, it was a good little chance for him to pot a few balls. He missed the first red. And I made another one four oh, seven. Oh, never. Against the same child. So that was, that was like, it was great, but it was, that was. <laughs> Turn the room cold for about twenty minutes. <laughs> well, while you, while while his dad chased you around the table, <laughs> I've never ran so fast around the table in all my life. Oh, brilliant, fantastic! Now, look, another another snooker thing I have to mention. Um, I hear so many people saying, "Oh, there's no young talent coming through. There's no young British talent coming through, and everything else." Obviously, there's your your son, Stan Moody, up in uh, up in Huddersfield. <laughs> but this week, Liam Davies, young young Welsh lad, Liam, those people who watched the shootout will probably know Liam, he's played in the shootout a few times. Cracking lad, cracking family. This week, he has won, this is amazing, this, he has won the under-16, under-18, and under-21 World Championships. I tell you, if you want to see talent coming through, look no further than Wales and Liam Davies, because I'll tell you, no one will want to play that lad. He is good. It's spectacular, isn't it? And uh, an absolutely unbelievable achievement. I, I mean, I'm assuming I don't know of that ever happening before. I'm I'm going to go ahead and say that must be an must be a world record. That that can't have ever happened before. It's a very very small group of people who won the world amateur and the World Professional Championship. Um, very, very small group of people. In fact, I can only think of, I think Ken Doherty might have done it. Um, and, you know, after that, I'd be struggling to think of uh, someone else off the top of my head. Very, did, very small group of people. Did Judd do it, no? I'm not Judd, sure. Judd, Judd might well have done it. Yeah, he may well have done it. But um, it's a very small, it's a very elite club anyway, yeah. people who both. Now, to win, to win the under... 16s, under 18s, and under 21s um, is is some going, and and I mean we all knew how talented he was. You know, we, you know he had a good run in the world qualifiers this year. Um, very impressive young player, very very good, very easy on the eye. Um, if we needed reminding of of how talented he is, he served it up there for us. Now, you know, without being too serious, now's go time. Now you know. Now he's got to go, and and uh, you know it'd be interesting now to see you know his climb to the tour, and and when he does get to the tour, how how well he does. Yeah, definitely. Just just keep an eye out for that name, Liam Davies. He's a young Welsh lad. Like I said, I, I've got to know Liam a little bit and his family, and they're they're lovely people. He's a, he's a cracking lad. Great work ethic. Works hard. You don't win an under sixteen world championship without working hard. You don't win a sixteens and eighteen, sixteens, eighteens, and twenty ones. That's ridiculous. So well done, Liam Davies. And uh, yeah, we hope we hope it carries on and we look forward to seeing what comes next. Anyway, Sean, you've been making a few waves, Mr. Murphy. Let's <laughs> Not like me. <laughs> Let's talk firstly about your trousers. Now, you you sent me a picture, or you you messaged me a picture of your trousers which it looked they looked a little bit like a black version of what Elvis wore in Vegas with rhinestones down the side. What's going on there? Yeah, do you know? I, well, the truth of the matter is, I um, I had a pair of trousers made like that many many years ago. I think it was in two thousand and eight, 
maybe 2007 or 8, I had a pair of trousers uh, and a waistcoat made for snooker, obviously, uh, by the uh, head designer of clothing for Strictly Come Dancing. <laughs> Sorry, is that, is that true? Because when you sent me that, I, I messaged you back and put, are you on Strictly? Yeah. So that's that's true. true. Truth. Wow. Truth. I, I, I forget the guy's name, but he was the brother of one of the professional dancers. And he, he, he cut and made all the gear. Um, and I, I went to Strictly uh, with Willie Thorne when he was on it, you know, was one of his guests uh, a few times and got to meet a few of these people. And I just said to him, oh, would you, you know, would you throw me a suit together? So he made me this suit. So there is some footage of me somewhere playing at the World Championships in the first couple of rounds um, in 2007 or eight with a, with a black suit um, with Sarovsky crystal all down the side of the leg, you know, instead of the <laughs> instead of the satin strip on a on a dress trouser, um, it had the crystals down the side. Now it was cut, it was cut all wrong for a snooker player. It was cut like a dancer's pair, so it was very baggy and it was you know had massive bottoms and stuff. It was completely wrong. Um, but I was living in a flat at the time, and the flat had a big problem with damp. I had this like wardrobe, I had like a like a very small mini walk-in wardrobe thing, and um, I put the suit in the suit carrier at the end of the season. By the time I came around to get it out for the next season, a couple of months later, it was green. The ah. suit was moldy. So that was that. So it, you know, fast forward to the World Championships this season, I just decided, you know what? I think as I'm getting older, you know, as we say, I've turned 40 now. I think I just want to just um, just let, you know, let our personalities out a little bit and, and bring a bit of, like, who you are to the... We, we're a little bit boxed in with the dress code in Snooky. You know, it's there's only so much you can do with, a you know, a three-piece suit and a bow tie. Um, of course, a lot of players don't wear bow ties, but that's a, they wear those silly cowboy things. That's, that's a different conversation. <laughs> but... Um, you know, there's only so much we can do, and uh, I, I like a bit of sparkle. You know, I, I like a bit of twinkle, and uh, I had the suit. I had that suit um, crystalled. It was crystallised uh, by a lady uh, near London called Jane, and um, that's what she does. She she puts crystals on anything. Uh, so she did that for me, and I had the suit ready for the World Champs this year, but I was too fat to wear the suit. I couldn't wear the suit. By the time I, in, in between having the suit done uh, and, and the World Championships moving round, I couldn't put the suit on. It didn't fit me. Um, so I didn't wear it. I was all ready to bring it out at Sheffield. Um, as it was, I got pumped by Stephen Maguire. So it would have, it would have only been on show for a few frames. Uh, it was probably probably good. It, was, it would have been the only sparkling thing about that performance. Anyway, I know that. Wow. But... Um, yeah, and of course, you know, listen, if any of the producers of Strictly Come Dancing were watching or are listening to this, like, I'm up for it. Like, you know, I'm in. So I'd love to do that show. Look, do you I'd, know, I'd, I'd do that in a heartbeat. I was going to ask you about this, right? Now, we, we've talked about reality TV in the past. I've, I've declared my love of the show Hunted, and, and I'm a celebrity proper version Australia, not Wales. Um, would you? <laughs> being, being deadly serious, would you do Strictly if you were asked? I, I was, I was um, a few years ago... I was quite a long way down the process for doing Strictly, um, and my old my old agents who who uh, they were known in the business they they got a lot of uh, contestants on Strictly Come Dancing. They put me forward, and there was there was you know we were a long way down the road of of, of talks with BBC about um, tournament you know clashing with practice, clashing with rehearsals. Obviously, if you make it to 
you know, the weekend of a snooker event, it clashes directly with, you know, obviously Strictly being live on the Saturday night and the results show. And so there was there was some complications in it. Like, you know, it wasn't a straightforward, do you want to do it? Yes, right, that's great. There was there was some... And in the end, it just proved... It just proved, you know, too too difficult to sort of get the logistics of it. But I was, you know, I was in the conversation. Um, and if the conversation ever happened again, like, you know, I would do Strictly Come Dancing in an absolute heartbeat. That's no got to happen. We've, we've got to make this happen now. This, come on, this this needs to be our crusade to get Sean on Strictly. Um, yeah. what, what do you think, people out there listening? We've got quite a lot of listeners now. So what do you think? Should Sean Murphy be on Strictly Come Dancing? For me, I would go and watch every single week, and it's not my kind of show. But believe me, I would go and watch that every single week. I'd boo everyone else, Sean, and I would I would be your main cheerleader in the crowd. I'd have pom poms and everything. Oh, well, listen, I mean, I, I'd do it just to see you with the pom poms, to be honest. <laughs> but I think you know, he said, uh, you know, we said if I got to a ranking uh, final, uh, I would moonwalk uh, into the arena. I think there's much more chance of me moonwalking on Strictly. <laughs> Uh, don't be moonwalking this season for sure. Oh, let's not say that because my, my first tournament is Belfast this year. Is the Northern Ireland Open in Belfast. I would love nothing more, Sean, than for you to be in the final. I announce you in, you come down those steps and then moonwalk the rest of the way straight past me to the referee into the table. So let's see that. We have a, a few people have asked me actually recently on socials what, what I'm doing this year. Uh, last three days of the four home nations. So Northern Ireland Open, which is in October. In Belfast, I'll be there from the quarterfinal stage onwards, and the Scottish and the English in Edinburgh and Brentwood, respectively, in December. And then early in the new year, we'll be in Clandidno for the Welsh Open again, just the last three days. Um, if you are going to one of those, let me know. Give me a shout on socials and, uh, and come and say hello. It's always nice to meet everyone. Right, I'm going to get a little bit serious now. Um, you did an interview with Phil Haig from the Metro and also from the Talking Snooker podcast and a, a friend of ours as well. Um, regarding your weight loss, Sean, now... This is something that obviously it's come out in the media in that interview. Something I, I knew about. We we discussed it beforehand. We discussed it afterwards. Um, and you've you've had surgery to help you to lose weight. Just just fill us in on 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 what happened. Yeah, um, I, you know, I, I think everyone everyone uh, who knows me or has followed Snooky, you know, would know that um, you know I've struggled with my weight all my life, and um, you know my weight's been up and down. Uh, pretty much, and you know, since I was a, a young boy, you know, I always struggled with it. I was I was bullied about it at school, um, and I, you know, I only went to school until I was thirteen. I, I left school at the end of year nine, um, uh, but you know, I was I was picked on about my weight back then. Um, you know, uh, we did all the wrong things. You know, in terms of my sort of snooker upbringing, you know, food was used as rewards and. You know, for for cleaning, clearing up certain uh, practice routines and stuff, food was used as you know, terrible, terrible things. Really, looking back at it, and food just became a big, big problem for me. You know, um, as I got my, you know, as I became an adult and I didn't have to ask for treats, I didn't have to, you know, ask if it was okay to have an ice cream. I could just go to the shops and buy one. You know, gradually as I got an, you know, as I became a man and an adult and all the rest of it, just got out of control. Um, you know, I've spent my life, you know, in terms of snooker, you reward yourself with food and drink. Um, you know, if you're celebrating a win or a whatever, a good before, we're celebrating with a curry and a few pints. Yep. And when you lose, you're commiserating with food and a few pints. You know, me and Mark Allen have a bit of a, a joke about it, but it's absolutely true. Uh, when we used to lose a match, we would get the domino straight in. And I've been known over the years, particularly like going back to, 
you know, the, the locked in days of Milton Keynes and the pandemics, I would have the, you know, I would turn my phone on having lost a match. I'd turn my phone on as I was leaving the arena. And I would have the dominoes ordered before I'd given the press conference. And by the time I made it to reception, the dominoes would be there waiting for me. <laughs> and then, you know, Mark and I would just agree what time we were going to meet in the bar that we weren't allowed to go in. You know, it was, <laughs> you know, it was, it was like that. And it was, it's been like that all my life. And I just reached a point where, you know, I've been dieting. I've, I felt like I, I feel like I've been on a diet since I was 15. You know, 25 years of my life spent, you know, in, you know, physical anguish, mental anguish. My mental health had just gone through the floor. Um, found, found social media a very, a very difficult place to exist. You know, I still get criticized every single day of my life for being, you know, overweight. People would still be sending me things that are very nasty. Um, you know, and it, and it just isn't very nice. It's very hard to deal with. So in the end, you know, I just decided that I wanted to do something drastic. I had to, I had to, take, I had to take steps to, to fix this. I couldn't go on the rest of my life struggling with this, this issue. You know, of course, you and I became very close to in Snooker's Biggest Loser. You yeah. and I have been through the same thing. And, and uh, you know, I just decided that I didn't have it in me to go through that again. You know, losing losing weight has never been a problem for me. Keeping it off uh, is what's always been the issue for me. I've always found that extremely difficult to do, to change those habits and so I looked into having gastric surgery. Uh, there's there's several types available. There's you know very very drastic and sort of fairly um, you know tame from the gastric uh, band balloon bypass all the way to what I've had, which is called the gastric sleeve, uh, which is the most drastic form of gastric surgery you can have. Um, and what they do is you know it's all keyhole surgery. You go in, you're put under general anaesthetic, and they make a few small incisions across your abdomen, and they remove at least 75% of your stomach. Uh, sew you up, they throw the rest in the bin, and sew you up and see you on your way. Now, it required a few days in hospital. My uh, very dear friend, John Wilson, looked after me you know, for a few days, and um, then I was back on my feet. Now, what that means is, Obviously, after surgery, you know, your stomach is a quarter of the size it was. Um, you're on a liquid diet for a couple of weeks. The weight starts falling off. Uh, and I'm still losing weight. I had this operation done back in May. I had it booked in just for the week after the World Championships. Uh, and the weight, you know, has fell off. And I'm still losing weight. But the real reason I had the surgery done was, was because it, it's almost impossible and I'm not trying to set myself up for a fall here, but it, it is almost impossible to regain weight having had that type of surgery. And it's completely irreversible, I, isn't it? it? It can't be it can't it's be irreversible. It's irreversible. So I, I know plenty of people that have had what's called the gastric balloon, where you, you swallow this, you know, device, it inflates in your and it gives you the same sensation that I have. You know, it makes your stomach uh, usable space smaller. But it's temporary, you know, you, you, you have the balloon, you lose the weight, uh, the balloon, you pass the balloon and, 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 and you're back on your way with, you know, the, the, your normal habits and, and back to, and most people who have that surgery, I believe, uh, end up, you know, putting weight back on. 
because they never really addressed the issues. Um, as I said, the reason I chose to have the surgery I chose was that it's almost now impossible for me to physically consume uh, enough calories for a long enough period for me to regain the weight that I've lost. It's not It's not completely. There are people that have done it. Um, but, you know, the early, the early signs for me are good. I've, I've lost getting on for four stone in weight now since since May the 10th. Um, you know, I'm back to I'm back to being, you know, very, very close to where I was in terms of my weight around 2014, 15, which coincided with some very good performances on the snooker table. And I'm hoping that there's going to be a, you know, a return to that. I'm hoping it's going to have a positive effect in that area. But for, for, in all truth, Phil, it was a real life decision. You know, I'd got to the end of my tether with this. This is something that had bothered me for a long, long time. And, I, and, I, and my, you know, my inbox is, is full since I spoke out about it a few weeks ago. My inbox is full of people who got in touch and said, thank you so much for raising awareness about this. You know, social media is an absolute minefield. People saying things, they, they just have no idea how hurtful their comments are. Um, people are struggling with issues like this. And... Um, I just felt it was time I did something about it. Yeah, and, and fair play to you. We we talked about this before you before you had it done. It's, it's fair to say we had a few conversations. Um, and as someone who's who's struggled with their weight, weight loss surgery, it's never been something I've ever considered. It it just hasn't. Um, and I'm very much like you. I've always, I've always been a big guy. I've always lost weight. I've always put it back on. Lost weight. Put it back on. Blah 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 blah. Um, I know from from chatting to you that some of the abuse and the you know the, the grief and the, the nonsense on social media was was one of the big drivers for you for you doing this because it it gets to that point where you're sick of it where, where you've had enough and can I just I, I take the mickey out of you a lot on this podcast and a lot not on this podcast as well um as a friend Sean can I just say I'm I'm proud of you for firstly for for going and getting it done it was, it was a massive step secondly for speaking out and being honest about it, because it is something you could have just said nothing about. You could have just said, yeah, yeah, I'm just on a diet. You didn't need to come out and say anything. I think in doing so, I think that will have a positive impact on a lot of other people. So as a friend, proud of you for, for having done that. And, you know, it, you're looking great. I've got to say, you're looking really, really well. Well, thank you. And uh, you, you're very kind to say those things. Um yeah, well, my sparkly trousers, uh, which I couldn't wear for the Crucible, they're now too big, as you can imagine. Um, I can only wear them because, I, I, you know, I, I, I've always wore braces with my uh, dress suit that I wear to play snooker. I've always wore braces, um, mainly mainly because you're supposed to wear braces with dress suit trousers, and uh, it helps keep your trousers up. You know, I, I don't want people watching snooker knowing what type of boxer short I'm wearing. Um <laughs> But but um, that's the only reason I, I can wear them now is I've got these braces. I'm going to get a load of new suits made. I'm going to get a load of new gear made. And um, it, it's great. I think just from a – you just feel, uh, you know, better about yourself. Uh, and, of course, if you, when you're trying to perform publicly like we do, um, you know, if you, can feel, if you can feel good about yourself when you're about to go into an arena or preparing for a match, it puts you in a, a better frame of mind. Um, there's there's no doubt that those two things go together. But as I say, it wasn't it wasn't really a a snooker decision. It was a personal decision for 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 every aspect of my life. You know, I couldn't um, couldn't keep up with my children in the end. You know, I ballooned to 
you know, very nearly, you know, I got to 19 and a half stone at the World Championships. You know, that's the biggest I've ever been. Um, and, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, I'm six foot one. Uh, you know, I'm a big guy. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll never I'll never be a stick insect. You know, it's not going to happen. Um, but, you know, I'm a lot I'm a lot smaller now. I'm carrying a lot more stress, a, a lot less stress, I should say, on my body. Uh, and uh, at least I can bend over the table now. So, um, you know, it's it's good. I would just say, you know, that the, the social media thing, the, the mental health aspect and obviously social media, I think there's a lot of talk around stuff like that from people who, you know, they've really no concept of what it's like uh, being in the public eye and receiving messages like that on a daily basis. I hear a lot of people saying, oh, you've just got to get on with it. You've just got to get over it. You know, it really isn't as straightforward as that. You know, I operate in, in on social media, you know, for lots of different reasons. You know, I'm connecting with fans, obviously trying to promote sponsors, commercial reasons, interacting with snooker fans, interacting with people. Just, you know, it's a nice place to be. But every now and again, you run into somebody who makes these places, you know, you know, quite untenable. And people can be nasty. And as I say, it happens to me every single day. Um, it wasn't the whole reason that I had the surgery done at all, but it, it was a part of it. And, um, you know, I think it really is. It really is time. It really is time that people had a little bit more awareness uh, for the effects that their words can have on others. And uh, you see it all the time. I guess it is that hashtag be kind, isn't it? Yeah, it is. We've said it before and, and we'll say it again. So, any listeners out there, Sean needs a smaller pair of sparkly trousers. So if anyone can make him a pair of 44-inch <laughs> trousers, that would be marvellous. <laughs> I am joking, of course, Sean. It's, uh, yeah, it's a very serious topic and, and fair play for you for tackling it. Now, on less serious topics, get yourself limbering up, Sean. After this, it is time for Sean's rant. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're listening to the 147 Podcast with Sean Murphy and Phil Seymour. If you like what you're listening to, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to interact with us across all forms of social media at 147 pod that's the words at 147 pod now your last round was about manchester united we pre-recorded that before they got absolutely destroyed by brentford however we're back united are back phil uh, united are back you beat liverpool and then you beat southampton as well 
we are. So you are what you mid table or something now? I think I think Leeds are fifth, by the way, in the uh, in the Premier League right now. Have you seen that? Uh, I, page one of the Premier League doesn't concern me. At the moment. <laughs> I could never, I could never attempt such lofty heights as the first page. Oh, brilliant! Goodness me, but I, you know, we did the pre-record as you say, and then they got pumped by Bre- <laughs> and Brentford. Could have had six. Yeah, like, they could. It was, yeah, it, it was unbelievable. <laughs> and of course, like you know, lots of friends and family are Liverpool supporters. Um, Going into that game against, I'm just expecting an absolute mutt. I couldn't believe it. Like they, I just like say it quietly. We'll just whisper it. But United looked, they looked all right against Liverpool. I thought. Now Liverpool were under par. They were. They were. They didn't play as well as they have done. Certainly as well as they played the other day. What did they win? Nine nil. Nine nil. Yeah. What was ridiculous. But good. Better signs from United. Obviously, they'll get smashed up in the next game. We know that. Well, is this the effect of Sean's rant? Who knows? It could be the effect of Sean's rant. Well, Sean, you have one minute and 47 seconds. It will start when I say rant. It will end with the klaxon. Are you ready, Sean? I'm ready. Okay. Sean Murphy, time for your rant. Three, two, one, rant. Right, well, I wasn't sure what I was going to rant about uh, this time. Um, I've had a few rants lined up. There's a few issues I've got boiling under that are really getting under my skin at the moment. And I had to choose between two, and I've gone with one here. Inept airport travellers. Inept airport travellers. Absolutely. You know, the worst type of people in the world. It's either their first time traveling these people. You know the people who you're in the security line or you're in check it and they get to the desk and they're surprised that they've been asked for their boarding pass and their passport. Oh, I, j- I didn't know I'd need that. Are you serious? This, you know, this is how the world works. And of course, none of us have had to endure this for the last few years because none of us could travel. Bring back the pandemic, I say. I, I, I'm doing my brains in already. We had to go to Germany last week for the Europeans. Like, all the snooker being in the UK seems like a distant memory of just pleasantness and, and, and not having to deal with these people. Take your belt off before you get to the security, before you have to get your tray out. Get your laptop out. You cannot take that two-litre bottle of water through. You know this, madam. You know, what are you doing? Unless it's the, unless this is your first time to an airport, this is the first time you've left your house, get a brain cell and understand how to travel. It is ridiculous. Do you know what they should have? They should have a separate queue at airports for people who know how to travel. Take your laptop out, drink your drink, <laughs> belt off. It's a joke. <laughs> Yeah, you've outlasted the uh, the timer this week. Goodness me! Do you know we went uh, went on holiday of the week and we got through. And you know, you you go your bag goes through the scanner, your hand luggage, and my my son's bag got got pulled. He left some deodorant in there or something. And there was a woman in front of me in the queue, and they said, uh, you know, there's some liquid in your bag. And she said, oh, it'll be the it'll be the milk for the for the baby. I was like, okay, I think I think that's actually okay. I think you can fly with milk. <laughs> but they then opened up her bag, and no word of a lie, they pulled out eight 
different things from perfume to hair product. And they just kept, and it was like the Tommy Cooper sketch where he just keeps yeah. pulling things out of the bag and it's a hat stand and, and things like that. And they just kept pulling these bottles out from everywhere. She's like, oh yeah, and there's that. Oh yeah, and there's that. Oh yeah, and there's that. And I'm stuck behind and thinking, oh, how hard is it? Really? Goodness. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So, you know, I did the exhibition there in Preston, you know, and I flew back to Dublin after, and I, I always get the, I pay a few quid extra when I get the, I pay for the fast track lane through security because I, I actually just can't handle it. <laughs> can't handle it. I don't like the way the staffs, but they shout at you. They, they, they treat you like you heard, they heard us in like sheep. Like Brandon Parker was hilarious. You know, before he passed away, we used to travel together all the time. Maybe stood there and then someone had come barking an order at him. And then he, and he would just, he would, he would, he would go into full sheep mode and he'd just stand there going, bah, bah. <laughs> and he just wouldn't interact with people. Cause he'd say, you're treating me like you're being a shepherd. I'm being a, you know, what are you, why are you shouting at me like that? But I just can't cope with it. But it's just ridiculous. They they genuinely, I genuinely would pay extra to go in a queue at the airport for people who travel all the time, for people who know what they're doing. I would pay double what it costs to travel to travel like that. That's fair play. So what's the worst you've seen? We are all over social media at 147pod. What's the worst you've seen at an airport? You've heard a couple of Sean's, you've heard one of mine. What's the worst you've seen of inept airport travellers? Hit us up on social media at 147pod. All words, all in one go, at 147pod. Right, let's get on to the listeners' questions. We begin with Martin Yap on Twitter. Hi, Martin. Um, He says, Sean mentions a stretch regime for his lower back. Can you elaborate and maybe put a video on your much maligned YouTube channel? Yeah, do you know, I really need to get the YouTube channel back up and running. It's something I've spoke a lot about, um, particularly a good friend of mine, Rick Shields, who's who's big in the golfing world of YouTubers, um, probably the biggest golfing YouTuber out there on the planet. He's got close to two and a half million subscribers. Um, if you haven't checked his channel out, go and check it out. It's fabulous. Um, I started my own snooky YouTube channel there a few years ago. I was going to do start. I was going to basically do what Rick's done, but in snooker and have like product reviews, cue reviews, equipment reviews, some coaching tips and stuff. And I started building it up, and it got a really good following. So Martin's right. You know, I really, I really should get the channel back up. Um, like people message me about it all the time. It's just having the time to film the content and do it. Um, in terms of the stretches. Yeah, I've just actually started seeing a new physio, and she she's given me a number of stretches to do. I can't think of the names, um, but it's all about mobilising my thoracic spine. That's very very stiff. I don't have the rotation that I that I need. I think that's something um, very common in snooker players. And in, and and again, linking the two conversations there. Obviously, Michael Holt fell off the main tour last year. Fair play to Michael. He's jumped straight into his YouTube channel. He's got his coaching. Uh, he's doing great guns on there. And, and of course, he's a qualified uh, fitness instructor as well. And he's already been banging out some content about doing some stretches, you know, again, releasing his thoracic area and stuff. So I think that's that's a problem for snooker players, that mid-back and the upper neck problem. So for me, you know, I've got a number of stretches that I'm doing. Um, it, it, it's not making the problem go away, uh, but it is, it is helping it. Um, and uh, I'm keeping doing it. Fantastic. Yeah, just to back up what Sean said there about uh, Holty as well, uh, Michael Holt, dropped off the tour. Fair play to him. He's, he's coaching, he's doing his YouTube videos. Check him out, actually, because he's, he's doing some really good stuff. So, yeah, Michael Holt all over social media. Um, 
yeah, get get looking at that. But Sean's YouTube channel will be up and buzzing very, very soon. I am absolutely sure. Uh, right, Peter Jones on Facebook uh, has contacted us. He says, what, if anything, needs changing in the snooker dress code brackets noting controversy over bow ties and ties? Now, that controversy is that the rule says you have to wear bow ties, and a lot of the players on tour don't, like Judd Trump. Oh, yeah, I was going to mention Judd, because Judd has said before that, that a bow tie affects his queuing, whether it's just his stance or, or what, it affects his queuing. So he wears one of the, the little crossover things that, that a lot of the players choose to wear. I, from a personal perspective as a fan, because, because that's what I am, um, I like the bow tie in the waistcoat, okay? I, it, it may be a, a historic thing or whatever. I like that. However... I also don't mind the, the, the polo shirts and the, the black shirts with the open neck. Personally, I think it can be mixed up. It's starting to get more and more mixed up throughout the season with different tournaments. Champion of Champions last year had polo shirts. They didn't look great. They could be a lot better. It was it was a late decision, and, and I think this year they will be a lot better. Knowing the match from Multisport guys, they will nail that. They will get that absolutely bang on because I think it would be good merchandise as well. I think if, if people see players wearing these shirts with their nickname on, whatever, I think it'll become good merchandise. People will buy those shirts. However, the likes of the Crucible, the likes of the UK, the likes of the Masters, for me, as a fan, have to stay traditional. Um, some other tournaments and, and other events and series, yeah, mix it up. You know, it, it, why not? People are different, as the French say. Sean? Well, I can tell you the reason uh, the dress code is the way it is uh, from my time on the players' board. And... Um, it links into something that's a very touchy subject in snooker. Uh, so we'll go there, but we'll go there gently. <laughs> and that is the power of China. Yep. Um, the Chinese, uh, the CBSA, the Chinese Billiards and Snooker, so have such a big say uh, in, in our game, our global game. Um, their market represents over a third of the tour's strength in terms of finance and, and tournaments. And we're feeling the loss of it. You know, we don't have those Chinese events, the five or six ranking events out in China. Uh, and that is a problem. And there's a lot of discourse on the on the tour amongst the players at the moment about the loss of those events and what World Snooker Tour are doing to replace those events. And of course, that's that's the problem with having a money list. You know, this is another big problem on the tour, the fact the players are discussing at the moment. Having a money-based ranking system sounds great until the money dries up. Now you're in trouble because the, the the ranking list is now skewed. Um, so we're we're debating returning to a points based ranking system, uh, running alongside a money list at the same time, like a lot of other you know major sports do. The money list is great, and it looked fabulous, but it only works if the money doesn't go away. And of course, China, we've lost those events. They've left it's left a massive hole in the finance of the game, but they have such a big say on things. And they are so tied to that old-fashioned, um, elegant, gentleman-style dress code of the waistcoats, the bow ties, that old sort of English gentleman, you know, from the 20s and 30s. That's the look that they like. And any discussions about altering the dress code get stonewalled by the CBSA. They won't have it. And World Snooker Tour, in their wisdom have allowed over years and years and years they've they've allowed not they've not allowed the CBSA to dictate I wouldn't go that far but they are they are frightened I believe of 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 rocking the boat uh, and and that's the reason the dress code hasn't changed 
that's the reason we still wear three-piece suits that's why we're the only sport that wears a we wear a dress code that doesn't help us at all <laughs> doesn't doesn't help us it doesn't help us perform it gets in the way it's very, it's much harder to reach over the table in a in a waistcoat it's much harder to get over with a long sleeve shirt we are the only sport whose dress code inhibits their performance <laughs> and uh it's a weird one it is a weird one like i say personally uh, a bit nutritionist when it comes to that however I think the different events can be mixed up, as indeed it is being. Right, moving on. Dan Harris on Twitter. Two questions, one for each of us. Whilst on tour, for Sean, what's the maddest thing you've eaten? And for me, have I ever made a huge mistake when emceeing? Well, I'll go first. Um, I wouldn't say a huge mistake. Uh, nothing, not, nothing as some have done. Um, I'll, I'll be the judge of this. I... Up in Scotland, announced uh, Mark Allen as the Northern Ireland Open champion, which of course he is now, but at the time yep. he wasn't. Um, he'd, <laughs> he'd won one of the home nations. It wasn't the Northern Ireland. That was the one he always went to win. And I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't those meddling kids, right? Because yeah. <laughs> I said it, Mark was in the tunnel and it's showing Mark. He turned to his right to, I think, Paul Collier, who was behind the curtain and went, no, I'm not. Yeah. If he hadn't done that, I could have got away with that. But he didn't, yeah. did he? He had to turn around, hang me completely out to dry him, Mark Allen. So no, no, no major, nothing massive. Touch wood. I am yeah, touching get, this get desk. Your, get your rabbit's foot out, yeah. or get, get touching that desk. What, yeah. is, what are you trying to say about my I'm feet? Gonna just, I'm just bad. gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna compliment you here for a moment, which is, you know, it's difficult for me to do. It's not easy. But you know, it's not an easy job what you guys do. I don't, you know, and, and, and your mistakes, your mistakes are so few and far between. Um, I think if, I think if, you know, the normal punter had to stand out there live on TV in front of a live crowd who are like, just before we go live, of course, people only see this when they come to events, like they're baying for blood, the crowd before the match goes live. <laughs> you know, it's quite a hostile environment when you're trying to work there. And there's a, there's a lot of banter between MCs and the crowds, obviously to warm them up a little bit as well. Um, I'm constantly amazed at how good you guys are uh, and how few mistakes there are across the tour and across the years. And, you know, yourself, Rob Walker, Alan Hughes, going back a long, long time. Uh, there was just so few mistakes. You know, it happens so rarely, which is why we have to make a big thing about it. When <laughs> Do you know, yeah, I'll thank you for that. Um, there was there was one, uh, I think it was earlier this year, actually, not on TV, thankfully, and I don't think there's any any footage of it, but I was at um, Butlins in Minehead. Uh, in fact, it was back end of last year, November last year, and we had a bit, little bit of time to fill. So we, with darts fans, it's great. You can literally get up on the stage and go, stand up, and they'll all stand up if you love the darts, and it, it's brilliant. So I went out there, filled a bit of time. I said that, all the crowd stand up, apart from one guy on the front row. Okay, this guy sat there. Everyone around him stood up singing. So I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Everyone stop. Guy down here hasn't bothered to stand up. What are you, are you, are you better than this, sir? And he just grinned and pointed to his wheelchair that was to the side of the table. And I went, oh, I thought, no, please. The ground needs to swallow me up right now. And this guy looked at me, he grinned and he said, you feel like the worst man in the world, don't you? And he was, do you know what? He was, he was great. Thankfully, he was great. But that was, that was one of those where 
I just wanted the ground to open up, swallow me up, and I never come back out there. But no, fair play to the guy. He was he was absolutely brilliant, and, and we had a bit of a laugh about it afterwards. I went to have a chat with him. But um, no, thankfully, no no major mistakes. So what is the maddest thing you've eaten whilst on tour? Yeah, no, goodness. Um, I was thinking about this. I, yeah, it, you know, it, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was it was some, you know, it it had been alive not that long before I had it. Um, some kind of deep fried insect in Bangkok somewhere or from a street vendor, you know, walking through the middle of Bangkok. There's a few of us out one night. I think we were there for the Six Reds years ago. And um, you know you've you've probably got too many drinks inside you to say no. You don't want to be the one who chickens out. Um, and I think you know there was a I couldn't tell you what it was, but it you know it had more legs than it should have had. Um, and uh, it was deep fried. Do you know what? I think it was quite nice as it happens. I don't remember it being. <laughs> um, and and from that point, it was kind of accepted that if I ever made it to. I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here! That I I would just destroy the eating round. Um, yeah, no, I reckon I could cope with that. Um, but yeah, something from a street vendor. Um, something from a street vendor in Bangkok. Which yeah. is, I think, anything from a street vendor in Bangkok is uh, is bad enough. Anyway, talking of eating, Steffi on Instagram. In Germany, there are two teams, two sides to the argument: bread with Nutella. Team A, with butter. Team B, no butter. Ooh. Which team? Right. Do you know what? Uh, I used to love Nutella and really love Nutella. I mean, it, it's great. And then I saw a, a program about how they make Nutella. Oh, don't ruin Nutella for no, me. No, don't it, it. Seriously, it, there's, so much, there's so much oil in Nutella. And it just put me right off. And ever since then, whenever I've tried it, all I can taste is oil so oh, for me nutella without butter what about well, yourself I, mean, I, I just i mean as steffi I, I i'm very surprised that this is even a debate um a couple of strange little things in germany and there's a few little strange cultures there's some of those the yo is what's the the, the the uh what are the some of those dressed those things they wear what are they called oh, lederhosen Lederhosen. You know, we'll put this in the file with Lederhosen, I think. Slightly <laughs> odd little cultural things. Um, I just want to go out and say this. Anybody who eats Nutella on bread with butter needs locking up. Yep. Do you know what? I'd agree with that. I'm, Immediately. I'm, I'm with you on that one. Okay, moving on then. Hayden Pinney on Facebook. Hayden, we know. Hayden Hayden plays. I don't think he is on the tour, but I think he, uh, he plays as a top-up on, on quite a few events. Very long question, he said, so I've shortened it down. Um, all players seem to agree. So should all players on tour earn, even if it's £250 or £500 for first-round losers? Um, for those people that aren't Snook fans that don't know, first round of tournaments, uh, losing players don't get paid anything. So, so they have to cover their own costs of getting there. And this is why a lot of the first rounds for foreign tournaments take place in this country. So people are having to travel to to the foreign countries to play in them. Um they don't get paid. So if you, if you get on the tour, you get your tour card, and you lose in the first round of every event, you earn no money at all in the season. Um, Hayden's saying all players seem to agree. Should all players on tour earn? What do you think, Sean? Yeah, I think um, I think this is very pertinent. Actually, this is this is part of a much bigger conversation that is going on on the tour at the moment between the players, WPBSA players, 
and the WPBSA board. And I think there is there are there are moves being taken here to try and level things up a little bit. Um, you know, we've seen again going back to the whole money list thing. You know, the money list is great, and it has been used by World Snooker Tour since its inception to show how great the game is and, and to show how good it is at the top end of the game. If you're if you're one of the top players, you can earn a very good living as a snooker player, much better than you ever could before. And that's great. Don't often they don't often like to shout about how much the bottom ranked players are earning. They, they don't talk about that very much. And of course, that's the real measure, isn't it? You know, of, of a sport's strength in depth and its wealth. How much money do the bottom ranked players earn? That's the real measure. Because the, the top players in any sport earn good money. And obviously, in some sports, they earn astronomical amounts of money. What did Rory McIlroy win last night? For $15 the... million. Dollars. $15 million. Wow. Unbelievable amounts. And all credit to him. Snooker isn't quite in that realm yet. Maybe one day it might be somewhere nearer. Um. But we're in a bit of a mishmash. We're in a bit of a, a, a strange scenario here. First round losers don't get paid. That was one of the first things Barry Hearn did when he took over 12, 13 years ago. When I turned pro in 98, uh, when you got on the tour, you knew, what, depending on your ranking, you knew exactly what your minimum guarantees were for that season. If you lost every match, you were guaranteed to take home X. And I really think there's a there's a strong move now to get back to something like that. Golf actually has always been used by World Snooker as an example of a sport where, listen, on the PGA Tour, if you don't make the cut, you get nothing. That's always been something they've used as an example. Well, unfortunately, uh, two weeks ago, that changed with the PGA Tour's announcement that everyone at a golf tournament will earn a minimum, I think, $5,000 whether you make the cut or not, to help with expenses. And every single player who earns a tour card will earn a minimum of half a million dollars, no matter what they do. Um, now, obviously, snooker is not in that league. However, the theory still stands. The point still stands. World Snooker Tour are making quite a lot of money, I believe, Uh from the streaming and sale of the image rights of matches, the qualifiers, the early first round matches. And of course, half the field don't get paid. Doesn't feel quite right to me that I have to say, there's something about that that doesn't sit right with me. Two players are taking part in a contest. One wins and gets the first round prize winners money. The other person who's also taken part in the event also helped put the event on leaves with nothing. Doesn't 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 work for me that, and there is a there is a strong move from the players now to stand up to World Snooker Tour as 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 the changing of the guard has happened. As Barry's taken more of a back seat, uh, we're hoping that the you know the new the new guy running the show, Steve Dawson, might be a little bit more amenable. Yeah, we'll have to see what happens with that one, but um, it's going to be a talking point, especially with the snooker doing what it's done. Um, right, loads and loads of questions that we are just not going to manage to get in, which we will try and roll over and do on the next podcast. So Christopher Randall, Dermot Snooker, Grant Lorimer, Peter Jones, uh, Sam Copley, some great questions there. So please, we will try and get those on the next podcast. All there is time left to do now, Sean, is our regular pointless question. Right, now this is a slightly longer one this week. Um which five famous people, living or dead, 
would you want at your imaginary dinner party? I shall let you go first. Right, are we doing one at a time? Oh, one each. Oh, we can do. Yeah, go on then. Like penalties, one each. Yep, go on then. You go first. Who have you got? Nigella Lawson. (laughs) Nigella Lawson? Yeah, Nigella Lawson. Two reasons. Well, uh, whoa, (laughs) steady on, Tiger. (laughs) (laughs) Two reasons. Um, One's obvious. So I'm not going to say it. Good at cooking, yeah? And the second is she can do the cooking as well. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Um, right. So she's an invited guest, but she has to she has to cook for a supper, you know? Wow. Okay. My first one then. I am going with the greatest, Muhammad Ali. Got to be there. You've got to have Muhammad Ali there. Got to. Right. Okay. Who have you got? Okay. Um, next on my list is Freddie Mercury. The best. The best. Uh, front man of all time. Yeah, you declared your love for Queen before, so that's no surprise. I was expecting Freddie Mercury to appear on there. Okay, my next one. A man who I've been mistaken for in the past, both in public and by my own son when he was on television once, Peter Kay. Peter Kay? Peter Kay. In my, in my opinion, the, the funniest man currently alive on planet Earth. So Peter Kay's got to be at the dinner party. That's some shower, isn't it? The funniest man alive. Currently. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's good, but I'm not sure he's good. Oh, he's a genius. He's a genius. So who have you got next? Winston Churchill. Wow. Freddie Mercury, Nigella Lawson, Winston Churchill. What are we going to talk about? I, I, I don't know. I don't know, but I'll tell you, he had great taste in champagne, though. I know he did. Paul Roger it. Champagne, lovely. You you wonder in that film that was made, what was that film called? The Darkest Hour. Um, I mean, he, he's like on the champagne the moment he gets up. Like yeah. I don't, you don't know with these films how close these things are to the truth, do you? But um, yeah, no. We're just, I mean, listen. You know, obviously, wouldn't want to get into the deepest, darkest depths of politics and who said what and who did what. But just the way that he's, you know. Um, just how, how much of a strong character he was, and and you know that that uh, that that obviously the very famous speech that he gave, and um, you know very very big character. I think he'd be a good dinner guest. Yeah, definitely. Now I'm going then from my opinion the funniest man on the earth right now to one of the funniest men ever in history. So I've so far got Muhammad Ali, Peter Kay. You've got to throw Tommy Cooper in there for me. Tommy Cooper. Tommy <laughs> Cooper, a man with funny bones. All he has to do is stand up and, and I'm laughing. I'm roaring with laughter. So, yeah, Tommy Cooper's there for me. Who's your, who's dinner guest number I, I, four? Somebody told me a story once that Tommy Cooper used to always, when he got a taxi anywhere, he would leave, he'd pay the driver and he'd give them a tea bag. It was me that told you that story. Was it? I told you that story. What are you, he used to always keep tea bags in his pocket. And yeah. in, in that, those days, everyone wore a suit jacket. So he would he'd pay the taxi driver. He would then take the tea bag out of his pocket and shove it in the taxi driver's top pocket, tap it, and go, there you go, you have a drink on me. Have a and, drink he, on. and he'd just walk away. And obviously, it, it has that rustle of a, of a note. And he'd walk away, and it was enough for Tommy Cooper to know that when that taxi driver drove away, felt in his pocket and pulled out a tea bag, he would start laughing. It was enough for him. He didn't have to see the laugh. It was enough for him to know he had made that guy laugh, which for me is just genius. So, yeah, Tommy Cooper's there. Who is dinner guest number four for Sean Murphy? Princess Diana. Oh, wow. Princess Diana. I thought she was a, a remarkable woman. Uh, I remember I remember her passing hit me hard as a young as a young man. 
um, and I would have been very young then. But I remember, obviously, it was etched into, burnt into the memories of many of us. I think around that time, the images of the the, the boys uh, walking behind, you know, the the procession and all the rest of it, absolutely horrific. Um, I think she was a wonderful woman. I think she came across as a real nice lady, and um, yeah, I'd love to have, would have loved to have met her and. Uh, got to ask her all the juicy questions about <laughs> life in the royal family yeah that's some dinner party conversation it, it really is right my next one is a hero of mine actually um an all-time hero of mine a man who knows peter. you only have to ask me to come. i'll come you only have to ask <laughs> you only have to say, i'll come he's a man that knows peter k well he's also a man that knew muhammad ali well as well and that man is michael parkinson he he met and interviewed absolutely Everyone, the stories Parky must have, phenomenal. He's got to be there. Didn't he say something like, despite all his success and despite everything, his dad said, "Where well, you still never played cricket for Yorkshire." Yeah, absolutely. Which I mean, that's the pinnacle, isn't it? Let's be, you know, let's be honest. It's granite. Is... <laughs> yeah, pa- granite. Parky is there. So, who rounds off your dinner party guests? Well, I was trying to think of who the who the last person could be. You know, we've got to tie Freddie Mercury, Diana Churchill, and Nigella together. Somebody who can hold the room. Great stories, great conversation, and it's just one person for me that does all those things. One of the best storytellers I've ever met. Um, lovely, lovely guy. Six-time world snooker champion, Ray Reardon. Ray Reardon, legend. Absolute legend. Absolute legend. Tell you a quick funny story about Ray before before we uh, come on to your last uh, dinner guest. Um, I went for a few coaching sessions with Ray years and years ago and uh, went down to his practice place down on the south coast near Torquay. Stayed in the hotel the night before with a friend and uh, was with my friend Kevin, who I was talking about earlier on. And so we drove to the club the next morning bright and early. You know, we were never going to be late. We were there a good half an hour early. Car park's empty. We sat there waiting, listening to the radio. Windows down. Beautiful little quiet uh, fishing village. And I said to my mate Kev, I, I said, what car does the six-time champion of the world, Ray Reardon, MBE, what car does he drive? You know, thinking something like the Jag from Inspector Morse or an E-Type or some classic Merc or something like that. And then as we as we were sort of thinking about it, we heard this V8 growl coming around the corner. And I said to Kev, whoever that is can't be very welcome around here. Like, it, the noise didn't <laughs> fit surrounding. You know, it was so loud. And into the car park pulled this brand new, gleaming Shelby GT Mustang. And he just had it imported from the States. And it wow. was very... And he pulled up in the space next to us, and he got a good morning, and he had a real way about him. And he shook our hands, welcome, and come in for coming in. And he, just as we got to the main door, he paused, and he turned around and said, oh, it's lovely to see you. He said, uh, but if you park in my car park space tomorrow, don't bother coming. <laughs> Do you know, that's exactly how I've always found Ray Reardon as well. He's a lovely, lovely man. He has got an edge, though, hasn't he? Which I think, but, you know, he, you don't become a top sports person without an edge, but but he has got an edge. So you've got then, so your dinner party guests are, just run me through the five, Nigella Lawson. Nigella Lawson, Freddie Mercury, Princess Diana, Churchill, and Ray Reardon. Wow, what a dinner party that is. Right, now I have my fifth to come. So I've got Muhammad Ali, Peter Kay, Tommy Cooper, Michael Parkinson, 
Last one's a bit sentimental. Sorry for doing this. I'm gonna I'm gonna end the pod on a, a slightly different note. My my grandpa died when I was very young. Um, I'll give over. No, 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 no. I was I was like four or five years old when he died, and he was he was a proper traditional fella. Glasses, moustache, bow tie. Always wore a bow tie. Going back to the dress code, always wore a bow tie every single day. He was a tailor by trade. He always wore a bow tie. Um, he died when I was very young. Now my only memories of him, he was the most inappropriate person with young kids okay so the things he taught me and my brother to do were to sharpen knives with a knife sharpener brilliant and how to crack walnuts right brilliant. that man for me legend i would love because I, I was very young when he died so i'd love to to meet him and get to know him a little bit and find out more about him so yeah a bit of a sentimental one so i've got muhammad ali peter k tommy cooper michael Paxson, and my grandpa okay that's my dinner party You've got mine, you've got Sean's. Um, on social media, at 147pod, who's your dinner party guest? Who are your five famous people or people, living or dead, that you would want at your imaginary dinner party? You know who ours are. Who are yours? Sean, this is the longest podcast we've ever, ever done, and we've not even asked half the questions that we were asked by the general public. So we're going to have to do another one in two weeks' time, you know that. I guess we'll come back and do another one. We'll we? have to come back and do another one. Sean, have a brilliant fortnight. I'm certain that you will. I shall see you again in two weeks' time. But for now, Sean, it's been great to see you. Take care. That was the 147 podcast with Sean Murphy and Phil Seymour. If you enjoyed what you've just listened to, make sure you subscribe, leave us a review, and interact with us across all forms of social media at 147 Pod. That's all words at 147pod. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.